Welcome to the first Sisu Girls Canada podcast. I'm Michelle the Runner, your host of the show. I'm more than proud to be a part of the Sisu Girls team as an ambassador and now as their Canadian podcaster. Sisu, if you don't know, is a powerful Finnish word that has great meaning for each individual. Sisu lives within all of us, and the women I plan to bring on this show will sweat Sisu every day. Today on the show, I'm interviewing Robin Baldwin. She's a Toronto-based obstacle course racer who has inspired many to choose fitness as a way of life. Her story will definitely change yours. So Robin, for those who don't know you, tell us a bit about you and what you do for fun. For fun. I do work and fun. <laughs> um, my name is Robin Baldwin. I call myself an alpha female. Um, and I do that because I try to do a lot of things, but in a happy and healthy manner. So lately, I've been calling myself a work-life harmony strategist because I work full-time for Kobo, which is an e-reading company in Toronto. But then I'm also a fitness and lifestyle blogger, a freelance writer for irun.ca, I'm also a future best-selling author, an obstacle course racer, a weightlifter, a road runner, and a yogi. So I guess the last kind of four ones are what I do for fun. I admire your drive always. Um, <laughs> whenever I see you online, I'm always inspired. Um, you were recently uh, diagnosed with MS. So when was that? Oh, right. I didn't even put that in. Usually I kind of end the bio by saying, and I'm an MS warrior. Um, but I like that it doesn't define me or is part of my bio. Um, I was diagnosed in December of 2014, um, and it um, was in Toronto at North York, uh, which is an amazing hospital, and I was treated very well there during my diagnosis. Were there any signs leading up to the diagnosis that, you know, something wasn't right or that led you to want to go and get, um, get diagnosed or get them to look into this? Mm -hmm. I um, But a week before the diagnosis, I had started getting symptoms um, that involved tingling and numbness in my um, right side. So it started in my fingers. It went up my arm. Basically felt like I had slept on my arm funny and it was asleep, but it never went away. Um, and it started going up my arm. So I thought maybe I had a pinched nerve in my shoulder from all of my crazy you know, OCR training and just weightlifting. So I went and got a massage, um, and then the, the tingling and numbness started going down the right side of my body. So from my arm, it went down into my chest and my abdomen. Having a numb right boob was really weird, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and then it went down my hip, into my leg, and then a full week later from when the hand started, my leg and my foot went, and that's when I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Um, and just I had gone to a chiropractor um, again to see if it was like a pinched nerve. Could he do an adjustment? And based on it being a new kind of healthcare team member, he had done like a full intake. And during the intake, they ask you about family history. And I had said my father has MS. And he did all the neurological tests. Didn't want like he didn't say anything, but he urged me to um, go to the hospital and get uh, an MRI. So when my leg and foot went, I just drove myself straight to the hospital um, and asked for the appropriate tests to properly diagnose me. So I kind of knew in the back of my mind when I had gone to see the chiropractor that it was a potential diagnosis, but 
um, I guess I was, I was in a bit of denial until um, the MRIs finally um, was able to give the firm diagnosis. So I have McDonald's criteria, which means the amount of lesions in my brain, and then I have one on my spine, which is the symptomatic one. Uh, based on the numbers that I have, they were able to diagnose me right away. So I actually think I'm quite blessed that I was diagnosed within a week of symptoms, whereas many uh, MSers go years without a firm diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds like a like a version of a nightmare week. Um, you were super. It sounds like you're super independent and you took things into your own hands, which doesn't surprise me. Um, knowing a bit about <laughs> you, um, the diagnosis is scary. But um, what was amazing was watching you after the diagnosis. And basically, I wanted to, you know, you. I want you to share with others um, what you did weeks after the diagnosis. Sure. Well, uh, in the middle of the diagnosis, like I was diagnosed within 12 hours in the hospital. So they found the lesion on my spine at night um, and told me that it was indicative of MS, but they couldn't be completely clear. And so that was really hard because then I was asked to stay in the hospital overnight to receive another MRI on my brain and my spine with tracing agents the next day. So basically was told I had MS, but it wasn't completely confirmed, and then spent 12 hours overnight in the emergency room on a cot in the middle of the hallway by the nurse's station, just like crying my eyes out. So I went through the four stages of grief within like 12 hours. And because I'm an alpha female, I was like, okay, let's get this show on the road. Like, how fast can I go through this? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, you know, grief. I started crying. Then I was mad that, like, they had told me I had MS, but it wasn't fully confirmed. So why did they use those words? <laughs> um, uh, then I went into denial. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe it's just like still a pinched nerve. Um, and then after the MRIs in the morning, and um, I had met with the neurologist who is one of my neurologists, and he just explained, um, you know, exactly what my next steps were. I was like, okay, I went into acceptance. I'm like, okay, I have this. How do we treat it? How do I start researching it immediately? And how do I not let this kind of control my life? Because it's not a death sentence. And um, I think that's the difference is I looked at it as not a death sentence. I just said, okay, this is something that I can live with for my, the rest of my life. My dad lives with it. So how do I make the most of it? Um, so I think because I went through all of the feelings as fast as alpha female humanly possible, um, I was able to just kind of go into deal with it mode. Um, and I was told that to, to halt the symptoms immediately, I would be put on a steroid treatment, which would basically stop my immune system from attacking itself. So um, multiple sclerosis is where your cells decide to get confused and they eat away at the myelin sheath around your central nervous system. So the lesion on, the, on my spine is missing the myelin around the CNS, and that's why it can't really communicate with the body, and that's why the right side went numb. So I was like, okay, give me the steroid treatment. Um, and then I asked all the questions like, how long does it take to work? Um, and it's different for everyone. It could take 
a few days to a few weeks to a few months. For me, I was lucky and I um, only spent three weeks recovering from uh, the steroid treatment. The numbness and tingling went away. But the steroids rocked my body probably even harder than um, the actual like MS symptoms because it basically just like you get really, really sick, really tired. I couldn't breathe at times. Like my lungs just felt like they were being squeezed Um, and I lost all stamina and energy. Uh, The only thing I gained was a really good appetite. (laughs) Uh, so after the three weeks, I had my first appointment with the neurologist. Um, and I think after all like the standard questions, like, what does this mean for my life? What kind of a mess do I have? Because there's four different kinds. Mm -hmm. My first question was, um, when can I start jumping off of walls again? (laughs) Because as an obstacle course racer, I was training for all these races and I didn't understand that it's my central nervous system. I thought it was um, about my spine. So I was like, how can I jump off of things with MS? And he's like, your spine's fine. Uh. (laughs) It's just your CNS. I was like, okay, good. And he's like, why are you jumping off of walls anyways? Yeah, of (laughs) course. And clearly he didn't do any uh, background research on you. (laughs) So so as as a woman and athlete um, with MS, how is it changed or altered how you do compete and train for these races? Is there any difference? Yeah. So because of where the lesion is, I started, I had started doing all this research, um, so that I could kind of understand what might be happening to my body or what might happen to it in the future. Um, and, um, the, the kind of the year leading up to my diagnosis, the only thing I had struggled with was a really high heart rate. And I had gone to all of my, like I have a massive healthcare team from my family doctor to my neurologists to sports doctors to chiropractor. And no one could really understand why my heart rate was spiking the year before. Um, And it hasn't at all since MS. So I don't know how that was related, but I needed to make sure that I was tracking that. So when I started training again in January, so I basically was only, I guess, off of training really for a month in December started training again and it was really important for me to wear a heart rate monitor so I could track that. And then I had read that I may um, get symptoms if overheated because the myelin sheath is eaten away, the central nervous system is exposed. So if your body overheats, the nerves go all crazy and they're like, oh, what's happening? I can't talk to the rest of the body. Um, so I experienced that right away when I started training, um, because I, I pushed myself to see how far I could actually go before symptoms happened. Um, so that was probably the hardest thing to deal with. And, st- and it's still really hard when I get symptoms during a race or training, I cry like a baby because <laughs> yeah. I'm so frustrated. Like I'm just so frustrated with my body and I'm mad that it's not functioning the same way that it used to. And I'm really not nice to myself. So that's probably the hardest thing that I've struggled with is being nice to myself when um, I get symptoms. Yeah, I seem to remember um, the Nike women's half marathon. Uh, You had some difficulty back then in the summer. Mm -hmm. The 15K on the island. I was fine up until like the 10K mark, but it was such a humid day um, that I started getting symptoms 
And the thing with it is if I don't stop, then nothing happens. Like I, my leg goes numb and I feel the numbness happening, but I can tell myself to keep going. Like I have to really concentrate on telling my body what to do. But the minute I stop, things just like fall apart. And I um, was basically being held up by a paramedic at the end of the race. And I just needed to cool down. So what I've been able to discover is that I just need to stay cool while training or racing or cool down immediately after a race. At, at OCRs, I usually try to find a lake <laughs> and just run into it. There's been a couple of races where the showers have been really close to the finish line. So I'll just like I'll sprint um, to the showers and start hosing myself down. Um, I've raced with, uh, cooling vests and I do things like throw cold towels on the back of my neck where the lesion is. Um, so that's been how I've been able to kind of manage training. Racing is a totally different ball game cause I can't really race with vests or towels on. So I just kind of deal with it after. Yeah, it's, it sounds challenging, but you knowing you, um, you're never one to back down from any kind of a challenge. Uh, what are your next steps going into 2016 then? So um, last year I had set way too many race goals because I had set them before I was diagnosed and I set my race goals kind of in the fall and then I was diagnosed in December. So I had planned on doing probably about 15 races and then more came up throughout the year and I was like, yes, I'll do it. Like it's almost like I had something to prove. Well, I kind of did. I needed to like prove that my body could do it, that I could do it, that I was stronger than MS. So I was going to do 20 races and that was ridiculous. Like I was just, it was one, I couldn't train properly. I couldn't recover um, properly. I'd race one weekend, rest the entire week and then race again the next weekend. So I wasn't able to get proper training sessions in. I had an ankle injury as well on top of all this. So I wasn't allowed to do any run training in between races. So it was just too much, but I was able to do it and I was really super proud of myself, but it wasn't smart. Like realistically, it wasn't smart. So my goal for 2016 is only to do 12 races, which means it's technically like one a month um, and just properly train, really get into good run training for both my road runs and my OCRs. Um, I'm learning new running form, which I've never done. Like I'm focusing on that so that I don't deal with other injuries. And then um, just working on my stamina and strength and just getting stronger. So that's how 2016 is supposed to go. And that sounds um, wise. And just to share with you my own experience as a coach and runner, um, I actually never advise or I never am advised to run a r one more than one race a month. So mm. it's so don't be so hard on yourself and think, <laughs> oh, I'm letting myself down because actually most people wouldn't do more than one race a month. Um, it right. gives you proper time to heal, proper time to assess your weaknesses and your strengths and, and train from that point. So mm -hmm. I think this is really smart for you to do this. And I'm fully going to throw my obstacle course training facility like under the bus here is there's a mentality of trying to keep up with each other. Mm -hmm. So if one person is doing a race next weekend, like, oh, I, I better do it too. Um, and there's this mentality where it's like, I have to do all these races. I've got to like compete with everyone. I've got to be faster than this person. Um, I've got to do two classes a night 
or maybe three because this person's doing it as well. And it's a horrible mentality and I got caught up in it and I didn't want to, have, I fully had FOMO too, like I didn't want to miss out on race weekend uh, in New Jersey because everyone was going down to Battle Frog. So I'm like, sign me up. Um, and so, so now that I've done it and I've learned my lessons, it's uh, now it's about my goals and what are important to me and cheering on everyone when they go off to do things, but knowing that I'm better off not racing every weekend. I'm really impressed that you came to that on your own because many people don't. And uh, I think it's important to know it's a, it, the, this is all about you. And this is, the, the race day is your day, not in anyone else's. Mm-hmm. So um, that's it's extremely um, important and an important lesson to to have a lot of other people here as well. And it's got to exist in run clubs too, where you hear about people do like, oh, let's do this five k, let's do this ten k. How many marathons are you doing this year? And um, that mentality. So it must exist across like even gyms, people who do fitness competitions, trying to do more than their body can handle, run clubs. CrossFit gyms. It's got it's got to exist universally. Uh, yeah, it, I'm pretty sure most of my chiropractors and physiotherapists have said that mentality is what's kept them um, employed uh, <laughs> yes. for the the better part of the last five years. Is because yeah, people aren't uh, training. They aren't racing smart. They're training. They may be training smart, but maybe not racing as wisely as they could. So going um, going further with this, um, if there you know, if there's anyone else there going through, anyone else out there going through the same thing you are, what advice would you give to them um, based on the, the same diagnosis? Um, okay, so from an MS perspective, um, it's important to have a massive healthcare team um, and not just rely on the advice of one practitioner. And so that's what I've learned within the past year is just Um, One, how important it is to educate yourself first on what your body is going through, how you can take care of it better, and then working with anyone. So I have, I actually have two neurologists so that I have two different opinions. Um, And then I work with my family doctor to ensure that I'm getting um, blood um, tests on a consistent basis so that I can see where my vitamins and minerals are. So what I'm taking based on my naturopath is, you know, properly being absorbed. So I work with those two practitioners to ensure I'm supplementing properly. And then I work with a registered holistic nutritionist to tweak my meal plans so that I'm not only eating based on my autoimmune disease, but also based on my training goals, which is very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, So working with them to, you know, if I've got a certain obstacle course race or if I've got a road race and I'm eating properly to fuel myself in addition to treating myself. Um, and then, uh, I believe in chiropractor, physiotherapist and acupuncture for not only holistic healing. So I see an acupuncturist for digestion issues, but then she'll, she'll treat my tight calves from a sports related perspective. So, um, and this is like this can apply to someone with MS or someone not with MS. Like you need a healthcare team to take care of it, take care of specialties and know where someone is going to be able to help you. In addition to something you already know about yourself, um, and then one being your like biggest advocate. So educating yourself on what your body is going through, what your body needs. So many people don't properly like research nutrition that they need for training, um, and don't eat enough protein. 
because they think they need to eat a ton of carbs because they're running uh, really long distances and stuff like that. So um, knowing yourself, knowing your own information too. Uh, and then the other advice is, um, and I think this goes back to like the whole overtraining mentality uh, that is happening, is uh, working with either uh, from a run perspective or from a weightlifting perspective, working with coaches or working with personal trainers to understand what you need for base training and then what you need for recovery. But no one really focuses on recovery and, you know, should you be taking ice baths after a race? What kind of massages should you be doing, stretches? Like there's really such a low um, focus on it because no one really specializes in that. There's everyone involved in getting people ready for big events, but there's no one involved in teaching you your own self-care um, and how to actually recover. So uh, based on what you've just said, and I'm sure people who, you know, with or without MS um, would be able to contact you if they had more, if they needed more information. Do you want to tell us a bit about the initiatives that you've been putting together and will be putting together um, going forward? Sure. So in 2015, my first year with MS, I wanted to do something that was um, kind of meaningful for myself. So I did um, raise funds for the MS Society. So that's really important for me. Um, and I put together an obstacle course race with my training facility, um, which went really well. Uh, in the future, though, it's such a lot of work and very stressful. I'm definitely going to take advantage of the events that are already put together by the MS Society of Canada. And I have bought my first road bike, so I will be participating in the MS bike in 2016. So I'm sure I'll start talking about it when I start fundraising. Uh, but in terms of just finding myself online and things that I'm doing to help other alpha females, whether or not you have MS or not, um, over on Robin Baldwin. Dot com. I share everything from my MS journey to race recaps to how to Sunday meal prep for the week. Um, and I just launched my very first podcast called the Alpha Female Podcast. And it's uh, focusing on work-life harmony. So talking with different alpha females from different walks of life, different professions, just how do they take care of themselves from fitness routines to daily nutrition habits to how do they wind down at night and decrease stress. Um, and we even talk about definitions of happiness. So it's really, really fun. It's on iTunes and it's on Stitcher. Um, and then with that, I've created a Live Like an Alpha Female Challenge. So you can sign up at robinbaldwin.com forward slash alpha female. And it's a really easy challenge to just get people thinking about different ways to optimize fitness, nutrition, health, how to stay healthy at work, and then how I use my smartphone to stay ridiculously organized. Wow, that sounds amazing. I'm actually looking forward. I haven't been able to listen to your podcast yet. It's on my list of things to do, my very long list of things long to do. Long list of things to do, yeah. Yeah, but um, I am looking forward to it, and I'm always inspired by watching you online and in person take on all the challenges sometimes that I wouldn't even take on. So I commend you for all your work and efforts and um, it was really great talking to you and I look forward to seeing you out there on the race course. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks again Robin for coming on the show and sharing your story so far. 
That's it for CSU Girls Canada. Visit csugirls.com to check out more podcasts about the people who sweat CSU.